Alright, good morning everybody. Let me just uh, echo what's already been said and it's so good to see UConn students here again. So good to have you guys here. Um, hope uh, first week has gone well. So as Keith said, last week we started a new sermon series on what's called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is an ancient summary of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. It's very old. Uh, scholars have found evidence of an early version of the Creed, which contains all the po major points that the Creed contains, being used in the 100s A.D. And not only that, but when it was being used in the 100s A.D., it was called the Old Roman Creed. So that tells you that this summary goes all the way back to the earliest days of the church, probably shortly after Jesus was resurrected and the Holy Spirit had been poured out at Pentecost. Uh, people were using words like this to summarize the essence of the Christian faith, especially in baptism ceremonies. The, the, uh, those being confirmed would say the Apostles' Creed. And today, the vast majority of churches that would call themselves Christian uh, in all of the three biggest streams, right, Roman Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, would all be able to together affirm what this creed says. And so what we're doing this fall is we're looking at each line in the creed and we're asking, what does it mean for us as a church to affirm these things? What does it mean to, to believe them and to declare and live them out together? So I think uh, it would be a good practice for us every week that I'm preaching on this to recite the creed together, to start off. I would like us to get to a point where at the end of this series, every one of us is able to say this from memory. So if you are able, stand up right now. And uh, before we say this, remember, uh, there was a point I made last week, which is that when we say, I believe, biblical faith isn't just about saying, I acknowledge that this thing exists. That's the way that people often use the word believe today, uh, but that's not really what we mean. When we use the word believe, it's something more like when a friend says to you, hey, I believe in you. I believe that you can do this. It's a way of saying, I'm putting my trust in this. I'm putting my confidence in this. I'm putting my hope in this. I want to live my, my life in light of this. So, keep that in mind as, as we say this, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can sit down. Good job. 
So as I said, over throughout the fall, we're going to be looking at each line in the creed and asking, what exactly does it mean to declare that, to believe it? Um, and also, uh, in addition to practicing memorizing the creed, something that I would recommend that you do uh, during this season is listening to that song that we had playing right during the countdown. Um, you might not have really noticed it, but it's a song called Creed by Rich Mullins. Um, and it, it's, it's a musical version of the Apostles' Creed. I think it's a really beautiful song. It's always been really moving to me. Uh, I like Rich Mullins a lot. If you've never heard of him, I recommend uh, checking out his music. Uh, he was, I think he was more than a musician. I think he was uh, a prophet. A very interesting guy, interesting life. Unfortunately, at 41 years old, he died in a car crash. Uh, but he, he produced a lot of music in the 80s and the 90s. And um, I, I think that even though his song, Creed, came out in 1986, I think it's really timeless and uh, really beautiful. So listening to that might help you to, uh, to, to memorize the Creed. All right, so... Uh, last week, we looked at the first line, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And this week, we're looking at the second part, I believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. When we say the creed, we affirm together that we believe in a God who is creator. Now, when we use those words, heaven and earth, you want to think of that as describing everything. Heaven and earth represents the entire sphere of reality. Uh, things that are invisible and in invisible, spiritual and material. Uh, from the smallest things that we are aware of, like quarks and leptons that we talked about uh, last week, to the unfathomable vastness of the universe that stretches more than 93 billion light years across. When we say that God is creator, we are affirming that God made all of this, everything. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, interestingly, that passage was actually describing Jesus specifically. Um, and in the creed, we're talking about God the Father. We haven't gotten to God the Son yet. We will, we'll do that next time. But it's still correct to, to say that this passage is describing what the creed describes because Paul wasn't trying to say that God the Father had nothing to do with creation. What he was trying to say is that God the Son is just as much God as the Father, right? Because he was ascribing to Jesus things that the Jews already recognized to be true of God, that God is the creator of everything on heaven and, and on earth, visible and invisible, uh, spiritual and material. So what does it mean for us to say that God is creator? Well, I think a good way of, of thinking about it is to look at that last line in the passage. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, first, before all things. That means that at some point, 
There was nothing other than God. And the only reason that there's something other than God is because God wanted there to be. He is before all things. You know, sometimes people will ask, well, if God created everything, who created God? It's like, hold on a second, you weren't listening. <laughs> he is before all things. It's got to be something that's uncreated, right? We declare that to be God. But when we declare God to be creator, we're not just saying that God, like, got this thing started and then took his hands off of it. We're also saying that in him, all things hold together. The only reason that anything can exist, anything can be, is because God actively sustains its existence, moment by moment. If God were to withdraw his presence entirely from what he has made, it would just sink back into the nothing from which it came. The Apostle Paul described this when he said, In God we live and move and have our being. In God, we have our being. In God, we have our existence. The only reason we exist is because God maintains our existence moment by moment. He upholds us. He sustains all of this. Okay? So let's uh, look at the very first place that creation is talked about in the Bible. Genesis 1.1. First, first verse in the whole Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be. Now I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long and uh, we don't have enough time. And most of you are probably familiar with it. If you're not, you can go check it out after service. Um, but what God does is he proceeds to then invite things into being, right? He invites light into being and sea into being and the sky and animals and vegetation. And finally, at the very end, he invites into being humans. And each step of the way, he says, oh, this is good. This is good. Now, I want us to notice something. Did you catch that when this describes God creating the world as we know it, it doesn't actually describe God as creating out of nothing? Now, I believe that ultimately, at some point, God created out of nothing, but that's not actually what this passage describes, right? When, what it says that God creates out of is, is what? It's the waters, the deep uh, in a Greek translation, it would say the abyss. And what you want to think about when you hear those words is chaos. These are words as associated with chaos in, in, in uh, Judaism. And so the image here is of this raw, uncreated, chaotic material, formless, uh, that God then hovers over and brings into order and life and beauty. So that word for hover, it's the same Hebrew word that would have been used to describe a mother bird sitting on her eggs, nurturing them to life. So 
when you think about creation, notice God doesn't just create by snapping things into existence. Although, surely, at some point he's done that, and he could do it anytime he wants. But God also creates by nurturing the raw material of the world into order, beauty, and life. Right? And that's what God does in our own lives, too. Right? God hovers over us, and he, he nurtures, nurtures us, he draws us into greater order, beauty, and life. And the more that we surrender to God's spirit, the more we experience the fullness of life and goodness and beauty that he wants to bring to us, right? So, think about creation not just as that popping into existence, but also the spirit of God actively forming and shaping Now, over the centuries, Christians have debated a lot over how to interpret those opening chapters of Genesis. Uh, they've, they've debated over things like how, how poetic are they, how literal uh, are they. Even before uh, modern science, there were debates about that. And, uh, of course, the claims of modern science have only created more debates over things like, you know, the age of the universe, the age of the earth, the age of humanity, uh, evolution, and the, the relationship between science and faith and science and scripture. And those debates can often get very heated. And what I have noticed in my time thinking about these subjects is that it seems clear to me that there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus and love Jesus, and who uh, take the Bible seriously, who come to different conclusions on this stuff. And I don't really uh, feel a need to make sure that everybody is on exactly the same page uh, about the details here. Um, but whatever you think, the important thing is for us to be able to declare together that God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And as long as we can agree on that, and also agree that the order and beauty of the universe ultimately originates in God and is sustained by God, if we can believe those things, then I think we're good. Um, and the rest of it is just interesting discussions that we can have. Um, but that's the important thing, that we're able to declare those things together. So it's important to recognize when we declare the creed, I believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. We are not saying anything specific about the age of the universe. We are not saying anything specific about the exact means by which God created. We are not saying anything uh, specific about how long the process has taken, whether it was instantaneous or over time. We're not saying that stuff. We're simply saying that the order and beauty that exists originates in God and is sustained by God. God is before it all, and he actively holds it all together. 
The Apostle Paul said that the world as it exists in itself is enough of a sign to humanity that there is a God. That it's not an accident. In Romans 1.20 he wrote, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You know, if someone had said to Paul, give me evidence that God exists, he probably would have said something like, isn't your existence evidence enough? Isn't the existence of anything evidence enough? As the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. I think for most people, existence itself is evidence enough of a creator. We, uh, we tend to have this intuition that this is not all an accident, that there is a super intelligence behind our, our being. We have this intuition that the world reflects the purpose and intention of a creator. But sometimes people come to doubt that intuition. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. Maybe someone has been involved in, in faith and then they feel hurt by that faith or they, they feel like uh, the, the church told them things that weren't true or something like that and, and then they have trouble trusting that intuition. Or, or maybe really bad things have happened to them. Uh, maybe they've learned some things that they don't know how to reconcile with faith. And so they're doubting this intuition that there's a creator. And I suspect that if you're here this morning, probably not really doubting that much that there's a creator. But just in case, just in case you are finding yourself having trouble trusting that intuition, I want to say a few things this morning that might help. Um, and, you know, these might be some things that you could share with somebody else if, if they are struggling to embrace that intuition. So, here we go. Um, let me uh, get out my prop. I don't usually have a prop. You know, this is a, this is a special day. Okay. So, the stuff that makes up the world, right, matter and energy, it tends to behave according to predictable ways. For example, uh, the speed of light. We have calculated what the speed of light is. It is consistent. That is a constant of the way that, that, that energy behaves. It travels at 186,000 miles per second. Uh, I think that's it, yes, 186,000 mi miles uh, per second. That is a constant, and because we know that's a constant, we can make predictions about things, and, 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 and that helps us, right, in developing technology and that sort of thing, and understanding the world. Well, there are a lot of constants about the ways that matter and energy behaves, and what physicists have found is that there are at least 30 constants that seem perfectly tuned to allow for the existence of life. 30 constants. 
Um, so what physicists call this problem is the fine-tuning problem. And they call it the fine-tuning problem because they don't have an explanation for why these constants would all be balanced the way they are because there's no clear reason why these constants couldn't have been different. That's an important part of the argument. There's no clear reason why these constants could not have been different than the way they are. So, uh, let, let me give an example, okay? The force of gravity has a certain constant. It is a very weak force, but it is measurable. Uh, scientists have determined what it is, and because they know what it is, they can predict the orbit of planets hundreds of years in advance. And every particle, every atom in the universe exerts a small gravitational pull. Now, it's so small that ordinarily you wouldn't feel it unless a whole bunch of atoms gets together, like the entire Earth, and then you feel it very strongly, right? You jump up, and then you come right back down, right? Because that force is so strong, because there are so many atoms all together. But the force of gravity is very, very weak. Now, here's what's interesting about the force of gravity. If it was just a little bit weaker than it is, then nothing would stick together. Stars and planets would not be able to hold together. You would not be able to hold together. Because if it was just a little bit weaker, matter would just kind of spread out in, in, this, in space. But if the force of gravity was a little bit stronger, all the matter would just stick together in one big ball. And the fact is, the precision of the force of gravity, what it needs to be so that neither of those things happens, is so specific. So this is what I'm going to call my universe configurator. Okay? So if I were God, I'm building a universe. Now this is not a great prop because I think it only has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven knobs on it. Ideally it should have at least 30 because there are at least 30 constants that need to be ju set just right in order for life to be possible. But so let's say I'm in charge of setting this up and this knob right here, this is the gravity knob. Okay? So let's say the gravity knob needs to be set at four in order for life to be possible. Well, let's say I, I think I've got it on four, I'm eyeball, eyeballing it, and I get it on 3.95. And that's pretty close, right? Should be good enough. No. It's at 3.95, that's too weak. You're not going to have the formation of stars and planets, nothing's going to hold together. So what if I have it at, bump it a little bit the other way, 4.05. Is that going to work? Nope. Nope. It's too strong. Now everything is going to clump together. So how precise does that knob have to be? Uh, well, first of all, before I go any further, uh, I want to acknowledge and give credit to a guy named Justin Brierley, who wrote a book called Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. Highly recommend this book. Uh, he does a great job of explaining the fine-tuning argument, and a lot of the, uh, the facts and figures that I'm giving come from uh, his book. So he, he has a, a radio show that you can listen to uh, on podcast, a radio show in the UK that brings together 
uh, discussions between Christians and non-Christians. Very interesting stuff. Uh, but anyway, there are at least 30 constants that seem perfectly tuned to allow for the existence of life. I just explained gravity. Sorry, I got off here on my slides. Um, if the force of gravity differed by one part in 10 to the 60th power, life would not be possible. So, uh, what does that mean? Well, that means if the knob is supposed to be set at 4, if I put it on 3.999999 out to the 60th decimal place, that's not close enough. If I do that, matter is not going to stick together. And likewise, if I have 4.0001 out to the 60th decimal place, uh, matter is just all going to clump. So it's balanced on a knife's edge. And that is just one out of 30 constants. And in fact, some of the constants need to be balanced more precisely than gravity. One of the constants, I'm not sure if I'm even saying this correctly, but the precision required is one part in 10 to the 10th power to the 123rd power. And that level of precision just absolutely defies comprehension. I mean, if the knob was turned to 3.9, and then you wrote nine, as many nines as there are fundamental particles in the universe, that would not be precise enough. It's crazy, right? So, what does all this suggest? Well, it suggests that our existence is not by accident, right? That if we want evidence that there is some kind of intention and purpose but behind our presence here, physics is crying out, yeah, there is. And what's interesting is that the fine-tuning problem is not just something that a Christian apologists talk about. It is something that physicists recognize, whether they are believers or not, um, a guy named Steven Weinberg, he's a Nobel laureate physicist. He identifies as, as an agnostic, which means if you asked him, do you believe in God, he would say, I don't know. Uh, but, but he says, how surprising is it that the laws of nature and the initial conditions of the universe should allow for the existence of beings who could observe it? Life as we know it would be impossible if any one of several physical quantities had slightly different values. And then another uh, agnostic physicist named Paul Davies, uh, he says, there is now broad agreement among physicists and cosmologists that the universe is, in several respects, fine-tuned for life. Now, I don't know about you, I find the fine-tuning argument to be very compelling. But, you know, even if the fine-tuning argument has some problem with it, you know, even if it's uh, something's off, we're just not understanding things correctly, you just can't get away from the problem of why is there something rather than nothing. That, that is the problem that never goes away. If you just sit with that for a while, you'll realize, yeah, that, that begs for an explanation, doesn't it? 
And what I'm about to say, this is not, you know, from a, a scripture passage or anything. It's just me kind of sitting with that question and thinking about it. But I would say, when you really think about that question, it, it leads you to, to say something like, something must be eternal. Meaning, something has to be uncreated. There has to be some source of contingent things that is necessary. Something has to be eternal. Otherwise, you end up with a situation where you have absolutely nothing giving rise to everything. And that just doesn't do it for me, okay? So, something must be eternal. And what is that something? Well, there's really only two options, right? There are either eternal physical laws that somehow generate universes, that just are, right? Or there is an eternal God. And another way of phrasing this problem, if you want to make it even simpler, is something must be eternal. It is either impersonal or it is personal. It is either something that is more like a rock or more like a mind. And it just seems so clear to me that it makes so much more sense to think of the eternal source as something more like mind than rock, right? Because the universe shows so much evidence of purpose and intention, right? So it's a simple message today. The message is this. Trust your intuition. Trust your intuition that the world is not an accident, that there is a creator, that there is purpose inherent in this world that we embody. Trust the still small voice that calls out to you through the beauty of the mountains and the sky and the ocean and the stars. Trust that voice that calls out to you through that beauty and says, I am here. Trust that voice, believe it, receive it. I believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. Lord, if any of us are struggling to uh, embrace that intuition, I pray this morning that you would flood our hearts with your Holy Spirit, an awareness that you are here, even if we don't understand physics or, 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 or we feel like there's holes and arguments and that sort of thing, Lord, help us to just know in the depth of our being that you are present, that you are here, and that you love us. Lord, your word says that your, your sheep hear you and know your voice. Lord, we want to hear your voice. Lord, we thank you for creating this beautiful, amazing uh, hard to fathom universe, world, Lord. We thank you for it. Help us to receive it as a gift and recognize it as good and to re respond with worship. In Jesus' name, amen.